This is Darren Pulsford, Chief Solution Architect, author, and most importantly, your host. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Zero Trust Networking with OpenZD, with one of its community leaders, Philip Griffith. Philip, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be with you, Darren. Thank you. Hey, Philip, um, we had a, a brief conversation about uh, what's going on with, with you and with um, the problem space around zero trust. But before we dive into that, my audience loves to hear about who they're listening to today. So give us the, the quick and dirty on who is Philip uh, Griffiths. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, uh, let's start with my, my origin. Uh, Non-technical by training, literally did a degree in history. <clears throat> so if you want to do a, another podcast on... You know, World War Two, Cold War, would love to do that. Uh, but I, I got into <laughs> IT uh, on a graduate program, project manager. And I, I basically discovered in order to be a good project manager, I had to know what my technical people were talking about. And they weren't lying to me or skewing what they were saying for their benefit. And so I just became more and more technical. Um, and as I've gone through, uh, I, I ended up joining a, a company that I thought was doing some really cool stuff in Zero Trust. At the time, I was like, what even is Zero Trust? This is 2018. Most people didn't know what it was. And I had to educate myself a lot, learn lots of things. It's been really interesting. I think it was a unique perspective uh, because in order to, to do that, you have to understand how lots of other technologies work. And it's really the intersection of many technologies that is, is, is very crucial to zero trust because it's not just a network or an application or, or a device. It's, uh, it's the whole landscape, the whole digital systems. So before we dive into, into that, I think it's really interesting because I have a daughter I, well, I've got 10 kids. So, um, and all of my sons have moved into the IT world, world either computer science, electrical engineering, or IT. All, all of them have done that. And then all my daughters have been teachers, except this one daughter. She was a history major like you. She's now a um, product manager at a high tech company. Yes. So maybe there's something about, you know, history majors and in product management. I, I, I think there is. The history gives you a unique perspective where, A, you have to understand language and as humans, language is very important. And then B, you're always asking why. And why is a very important question. For oh, see, there you go. Management or something like that. I, I thought it's funny because her specialty was the Cold War and World War II. Mm. Um, so uh, we went to London and saw all the great sites, you know, she wanted to see a Churchill's bunker. And I said, you don't want to go to the Tower of London? No, no, I want to go to the, you know, Churchill's bunker. I'm like, okay. Better, well, the bunker. Yeah. better weather. So, our, yeah, that's, that was pretty fun. All right, so let's dive into this whole concept of zero trust. So you being a newbie to the IT world, I'm not going to call you, I'm going to call you newbie though, because yes. you're, you're a history guy, right? So I think this is wonderful because you first heard zero trust, and you're like going, huh, interesting. So what is it that drew you in to, to, to working in this specific part of, of high tech? So what drew me in was <clears throat> understanding more and more about digital systems. And specifically, the role I had before joining this company was um, doing partner management for, for a managed services company. Uh, but specifically in the area of IoT. And at the time they were going, well, how do we manage servers around IoT? What an interesting area. And I really 
I remember going to a customer meeting where we're talking to a water company and you know, people turn on the tap and they go, oh, just water will come out. And then you, you speak to these people about their problems around how their water systems work. You're like, oh my God, the world is so complicated. Uh, you know, And you see these digital systems, all these systems becoming increasingly digitized and to the point where our, our world nowadays runs on digital systems and there's silicon everywhere making decisions and now we call it edge and iot but we just used to call it you know, distributed systems and ot back then and the, this is a massive opportunity everyone talks you know well at least everyone used to talk about digital transformation now everyone talks about ai <laughs> but when people used to go digital transformation you you, you saw a lot of organizations who go well we want to do this digital transformation and maybe when we do a POC, it's like really great. But as we look to scale it and take it to production, all of a sudden these non-functional requirements like security and connectivity and resilience and uptime, these are now critical topics. And so through this lens, I saw the the, the start of Zero Trust and how we could apply it to things. I thought, okay, this is really interesting because this this potentially, if we do it right, allows us to start building digital systems which can be secure by default. And this is like the kind of hot new words coming out of CISA and, and, and NIST at the moment around how to build secure by design, secure by default applications. Uh, and in my opinion, if you do zero trust correctly, you're not having a conversation around SASE or SSE as, as, as you know, certain analyst firms may have you believe. Instead, you're talking about secure by default. And for me, that therefore enables profound transformations that previously either weren't possible or weren't viable. Um, and thus why it's important to do zero trust from the start correctly. So it, 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 sounds, it sounds like zero trust, and I've had several people talk about this already, but from your perspective, zero trust is very all-inclusive. So you're taking a very much tops-down approach to, to doing this, right? Because it, it touches every aspect of your OT or IT environments. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Uh, yes and no. And the reason I would say the no is because, again, I, I am opinionated through the, the company and the projects I work on. But our we have an internal mantra, which is permissionless innovation. And let's, let's take an example. Uh, what was it now? Like 12, 13 years ago, AWS came along and went, you can just spin up your own you know, resources. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. No one wants that. And now you look back, you're like, well, it was obvious. Oh, as a developer, we all wanted it. <laughs> and we have the same idea of permissionless innovation and ability for developers to, to make their applications secure by default. So, yes, you may have the kind of top-down, CISA, NIST, U.S. government, uh, you know, CIOs, etc. saying, hey, we need some zero trust. We need to make things more secure. But simultaneously, our mantra is let's make the best zero trust networking platform but let's give it away for free and open source. Let's make it so that developers can just pick it up. Uh, and in fact, we had someone on our discourse the other day. It was like, I love this project because now I can just I can just build stuff. And I don't have to worry about managing firewall ports or going to the network team or the security team because I make my application secure by default. And so you need the top down, the the, the regulations, the, the pushing into... Um, uh, the, the strategy of an organization, but you also need to make it so that people who are building stuff, people who are the coalface can just adopt a library and, and get their work done. Because ultimately, someone's not coming to them and saying, oh, let's think about, you know, NIST 800-207. They're going, oh, how do I push out this functionality? How do I get this product to market as quickly as possible? And by being able to create secure by default, 
they can just focus on their features and boom, 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 get the features out and not worry about it. It's so secure when it goes to production. So you're you're sitting in you're you're sitting in uh, the area that there's this constant battle between the security engineers and the software engineers, right? Because yes. the software engineer, and I'm a software engineer by trade, right? I hate it when all my ports are shut down and I can't get what I need to get, yeah. right? Or I'm building a package and it's downloading stuff off the internet, and I'm like, I just need to get my work done. And the security guys are like, well, you don't know where that package came from. No, you can trust everyone on the internet. <laughs> That's what the software developers are thinking, right? Um, Log4j, great, great example, right? Hey, everyone uses Log4j. It's free. And free for hackers to, you know, you know, hack on it too. So I see the dilemma. But what you're saying is with your concept if I had, if I'm secure by design, if I'm secure up front, then the security's not in my way. It actually is enabling. Is that? I, I would agree. So, and it's really like if you look at you, with cloud, we then had DevOps, and then we're going well DevSecOps, and DevSecOps really brought together the development team and the security team and the operations team. But no one went, how do we bring the networking team into this? And so, in our view doing zero trust networking by default so that the development team can just pick it up and then the operations team run it and then the security team goes great this this ticks all our boxes we micro wrap dark we make sure we don't have to deal with complex firewalls in fact we have no inbound firewall ports uh, that enables those four teams to really work together to rapidly build secure distributed applications which tends to be what everyone's building nowadays so does it does it alleviate the need because when we talk about zero trust I, there's always well before zero trust right we always had this um fortress concept right we we put the firewall around my data center it's totally protected that's my fortress with zero trust we're like saying well i don't trust anyone inside my fortress either yep. right so w what you're saying help me help me figure this out what i'm hearing is I don't need that fortress wall anymore because I'm making everything inside zero trust. So I, I trust no one inside. Is that? Um, I'm going to say no, but with a massive caveat and star, which is okay. good security is defense in depth. Doing zero trust well gives you very good defense in depth. Does that mean I don't need any perimeter defense or firewalls? No. No, but I should. I should still need them. Like if you look at firewalls were invented in, in, in buildings as part of you know building codes in like the 1920s to stop fires from spreading. And people in computing went, oh, that's a good idea. Let's put them into to computing. And they went, oh, and we're going to serve up applications. So like, boom, 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 boom. Let's punch a bunch of holes in them. And then Log4J comes along and, whoa, we can potentially get exploited or you know move IT. Oh, we've been exploited. Who would have thought? Because we put it on the internet. And so if you do zero trust well, Use your firewall how it should be intended. Block all inbound connections, not just TCP connections, but UDP connections as well. Potentially, you can block all outbound connections except for the zero trust overlay. Even if malware gets into my LAN environment, it cannot connect to command and control or exfiltrate data. Most importantly, from our perspective, at least, again, I am biased, our opinion is that if you implement zero trust correctly, you assume the network to be compromised and hostile. Therefore, why would you trust IP addresses, public DNS, and other network identifiers that we use today? Why would you trust the firewall? Just treat it to, to block or inbound. Therefore, you want to move 
zero trust or overlay networking built upon strong zero trust principles, identity, micro segmentation, deny by default, and move it as close to the application as possible. If you can move it into your DMZ, great, you don't trust the internet or the, the wide area network. If you can move it into your host, you don't trust the LAN as well. If you can actually build it into your application using a software development kit, now I don't even trust the host OS network. So even if malware gets onto my host, it can't break into the zero trust network and laterally move. And so it's all about how can we lock down the implicit and explicit trust that we normally give to the network at certain points and instead make us secure by default from the external network. Okay, I, I, I'm starting to understand this. So you guys have created this whole concept of an overlay network that is obviously software defined because it is by definition, it's an overlay network. So it's a virtual type of network that sits across because not everyone understands what an overlay network is. Um, I happen to understand a little bit because I, I, I play around with the Docker containers and Kubernetes and HCO and all that stuff. So can you give us a, a brief description of what is this overlay network concept and how it helps me be more secure? Yes. And I will start by describing underlay networks. Underlay networks okay. are, you know, our, our, our routers and our, our firewalls and the, the cables that connect those systems. It's basically, oh, I want to have a, a video conference with, with Darren on this podcast. We have a bunch of network components between us, which are connecting. And we've probably got, uh, I, no, I'm just looking at my browser. I, I assume it's HTTPS uh, as a connection between us. So yeah. th there is an underlay network that now enables us to connect together. That is the beauty of the internet. It's a wonderful underlay network. The problem is something like 20% of packets on the internet are malicious. If you put something on the internet unprotected, it'll be hacked in like seconds. And so... We use overlay networks in order to connect two resources without uh, them being in the same local network. So a VPN is an overlay network. WireGuard is an overlay network. Uh, MPLS is a mixture of underlay and overlay. Um, we use overlay networks because it allows us to say, I explicitly do not trust the underlay. I'm able to access resources. Or I'm able to, to have an application uh, and an application or a data system be able to communicate from you know there to there. And I don't have to configure the networks in between. I don't have to trust those networks in between. I'm able to make it that even if the underlay network becomes compromised between them, the malicious actor can't see the data. They can't see the metadata. They're not able to, to you know, effectively uh, see the data that is transiting or potentially even you know, orchestrate an attack because you're able to build an overlay network which doesn't trust the underlay and which operates in a ephemeral basis so it can reorganize itself based upon what you know the, the conditions that are happening all right so that's pretty cool when you think about it right because what i i'm using the current physical infrastructure i'm creating a new network across it that I have total control over. I know who I'm talking to, when I'm talking to them. So that to me sounds super secure. Why haven't we done this for, for decades? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I get asked all the time and I like, I, I don't think people figured it. Like we, we built the internet, it's wonderful. And then everyone went, oh, you know, it's not quite right. So let's build some firewalls. Oh, that's not quite right. Let's do next gen firewalls. Oh, that's not quite right. Let's do MPLS. Oh, let's do a VPN. We kind of incrementally tried to make improvements. Uh, and in fact, that was part of the reason behind um, us starting the company because we went, 
you know, we could make a better VPN. We could try to do, as we like to call it, zero trust 1.0, which is like, you know, a VPN and some firewall functions to do some filtering and check device posture, et cetera. But we thought, what does it look like if you go to first principles? And to me, uh, in you know, proper Elon Musk style, the first principles is there is no such thing as a secure network. Networks are designed to share packets between A and B. And more important, yeah, yeah, yeah. we actually don't care about securing the network. We care about securing the applications and the data. We use the network, pun not intended, as a proxy to say, how can we move the packets between those resources and, and, and try to make them secure? The only thing you can do is create an isolated or private network. And we used to do this with MPLS, but that is not relevant as software eats the world. And so we went, right, so if those are all the problem statements, what if we make it so that we build an overlay network that can be inside our application or inside our data system allow connectivity and explicitly not trust the network at all and not have to have any trust in the network at all. And so I, I wrote a blog actually recently uh, comparing zero trust using uh, Harry Potter analogies. And that ultimate conclusion is effectively, I hope your audience is familiar with Harry Potter, otherwise it'll be whoa. Oh, who isn't, right? Yeah. That, who that conclusion is I can give my applications, I can give my data systems an invisibility cloak. So. The, the, the network, the silly muggles can't find it and hack it. Uh, and as I move packets between whatever resources are, it's with a port key. It just magically happens. You don't need to know how the port key works. It's got a spell on it and the package goes, whoop, okay, yeah, I've, got, I've gone from my source to my destination because you're able to abstract away having to actually configure DNS and IP addresses and, and routes and VLANs and all that stuff because you're not trusting the network. You're, you're building that capability into the application or as close to the application and system as possible so that you, you have that abstraction. You have that security by default. Gotcha. Um, th this, is, this, is really, this is really fascinating. And I, lo I love the analogy, by the way. I think, I think it's pretty clever. Um, what, how do I, as a developer, do I... Do I have to now rewrite my code to take advantage of this? Or is this something that <coughs> I can take existing code and run on top of? Or what? am, am I going to have to change the way I've done things? I mean, yeah. first off, if I'm hard coding IP addresses, yeah. I'm an idiot anyway, yeah. right? But that happens, right? Because I'm in a hurry. I, you know, I, I do that sometimes. But how do, I, how do I take advantage of these overlay networks? How do I take advantage of, of this? Zero so the easy concept. answer is to say you have a load of options and it depends upon what is best for you. You, you could, and you have to also break this down into in both client and server side, uh, the technology, which we use, which we call OpenZT, it has no concept of client or server. It can facilitate anything and everything that said, there is always going to be a, a consumer and a, and a publisher. And so, uh, on the, on the, on, on the server side, you, you may say, Hey, I don't want to change my application at all. Therefore, I'm going to deploy effectively a virtual appliance in the, in the VNet, VPC, DMZ, whatever. Or you may say, I don't want to touch my code at all, so I'm going to deploy onto the host. And now I terminate zero trust and NTLS and end-to-end -end encryption, all those lovely things there. You may, though, say, I want to be app embedded. Great, take an SDK. If you're in Golang, .NET Listener, if you're in Java, I don't even know how Java works. Uh, you're in Python, you're doing a, like a... a um, or Node.js. Some way yeah. in which you say, hey, these packets are going to come over ZT rather than, you know, they're going to go to the port, the underlying port on whatever asynchronous you know, connection. Um, there is another option, at least on Linux, 
um, where you can you can do app embedded without actually uh, embedding software into your application by using um, a preload, one of the, the cool functions of, of Linux. And so server side, both depends. You know, some people want to go app embedded because it gives them the best solution. Um, and it's actually, we've made it really easy. Some people don't want to go app embedded because they don't want to change their application code. Um, client side, again, you've got both options. Maybe you want people to use the, let's call it, better VPN where it sits on their device. But we also have a client, I say clientless endpoint, not actually clientless because it does, it sits in the browser. It does authentication authorization before connectivity based upon strong identity. But from a user perspective, it seems clientless. Because it we, seems we do clientless, magic in the background. Gotcha. So you don't have to use a plugin um, from you know, Chrome or whatever the, the, the browser you're using. Um, and then we also have uh, options where you can just, you just throw something on the public internet. I want to share a webhook. I want to, I want to share a web page or a file or, or something like that. Uh, so both sides, you've got loads of options. There's also, there's another one, which is we've taken some popular open source systems and we've already pre-embedded our, you know, our code into it to be able to go, oh, here's, here's app, you know, zero trust embedded SSH or here's zero trust embedded Prometheus or, or, you know, whatever popular. So you've taken some of the more popular. Yeah, we take that binary put our code inside right. it. Boof! Now it's now it's working. Sounds to me like I can. Let's say I'm a sysadmin because I used to be a sysadmin too, right? And I need I need to implement zero trust. I can, I can take this. I can install it on my servers, and deploy my applications. Um, you utilizing it without a change to the right. application. I, can do, that. I yes. can do that. See that, that that's highly beneficial, right? Because I don't have a lot of code to rewrite. And sometimes I've got code that the developers don't exist yeah. anymore. Yes. Right. I mean, let's, let's be honest. They've left the company or I got some old COBOL stuff where no one's even alive that can even maintain it anymore. Yeah. But so I don't have to write it in code. I can do it at the system yes. level um, and, and provide zero trust. So th this is highly beneficial. I like the integration points so across the whole spectrum. Yeah. I think for us, it, it, it comes down to who the system user is. If you run systems that don't have access to the code, you're most likely going to, yeah, not change the code at all. Uh, if you manage the application, then... Maybe you don't start with application embedded, but that should be your North Star. Because if you do that, your users can then use the system and they don't have to worry about it. It's just part of your, your binary. It's, part of your it's just part of it. And so this is, a, you know, this is something we've been doing recently with, um, uh, with EdgeX. EdgeX is a, a popular open source Edge runtime, part of the Linux Foundation, uh, which Intel does a lot of contribution to. Uh, so a lot of the engineers work on our, right. our Intel employees. And as they move to their 3.0 architecture, uh, specifically 3.2 Odessa, uh, which I think gets released in, in March next year, they're seeing more deployments where EdgeX is distributed across the network on the edge, connecting to the cloud, et cetera. And so to make that just super easy for their users of the system, they've embedded ZT using our Go SDK because their systems are all written in Go. So that if you want to just click on that capability, you click the, uh, the, the tick box and poof, you've now got you know, native zero trust embedded into the distributed system so that you get end-to-end -end encryption, you get mutual TLS, you get strong authentication, authorization, all of these wonderful things just automatically turned on for you. So you don't have to go, well, how do I roll my own zero trust? 
how do I do that? How do I yeah. my own CAs? How do I do all this stuff? Ah, you just you just able to turn it on. I I I have a, a, a in mind a, a future marketing campaign which is definitely not stolen from Intel uh, around ZT being inside, like ZT inside, like each application will be proud. <laughs> definitely not stolen from Intel. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pretty funny. Okay, so let's talk about features of of OpenZT, right? I think I understand how I can how how I can utilize it. To me, it sounds like it's a great um, zero trust library with all of the bells and whistles for zero trust security built in. So if I can leverage it, I most definitely will. Why would I write my own authentication server? Why would I write my key management stuff? I've done that. It's a pain in the butt. It really is. It's yes. a pain. So OpenZT gives me all that. What other features does OpenZT give? Does it give the visibility, auditability? Does it give those things too? Or does it rely on third-party things to plug into it? What's... Good question. So I will preface by saying we've built ZT to be extensible and orthogonal. So it can always interact with external systems, and it should, because ZT doesn't do everything. Uh, particularly if you break down zero trust into all the different pillars, there are components which we're not doing, where we need to interact with you know, third parties and, and external APIs. What ZT does give you is an overlay network built upon strong uh, zero trust principles. So that starts with ZT having its own identity system, you know, CA, PKI. Um, there's many other providers that defer to external IDP, but we don't think that's a good solution because if you go into edge IoT machines, they don't have IDPs. There's, there's no Azure AD, there's no Okta. And so we thought, the system has to have its own identity system uh, using X5 and I certificates, but you can you can bring an external one. You want, come, you want to come with OICD or SAML, great. We'll just defer to that, but we start with our own identity system. That then implements tunneling. So you get mutual TLS, you get end-to-end -end encryption. You can make it FIPS compliant if you want uh, for your use case. You get posture checks, so you can check the device uh, security like MFA, TOTP, or domain join, AD, you know, admin, you know, et cetera. What OS am I running? You do. You have the ability to set up very coarse tunnels, like zero to zero to zero slash zero or slash one. Everything. Right. Yeah. Everyone can talk everyone. DNS. Uh, so micro segmented, least privileged access based upon deny by default. Uh, you get a private DNS, so you can root. You know, you could put in Cloudflare, and the packets won't go to Cloudflare. They'll go over OpenCT. Or you could put here's a silly, stupid DNS name, and it will, it will intercept that and take it to wherever your service terminates, which means you can solve overlapping IP addresses. You solve, you know, it makes outbound connections, so you solve any NAT issues. Uh, ZT also has a smart routing fabric, so that a good way to describe it is actually, if you're familiar, MPLS, what we used to do with physical wires and, and hardware, ZT does as software, so you can input policy and tell it how to route, and it runs algorithms to figure out, well, what's the fastest way to get from left to right? Um, with as little performance degradation as possible. And there's some clever things we do to speed up, um, or at least to lose as little as possible because overlays do introduce some overhead. Um, and then of there's course, a whole yeah. bunch of things around visibility of, you know, when does a connection fail? Therefore I can infer how the underlay is running, where a misconfiguration may be in the underlay, uh, visibility on how all the connections are running. So I can see, is my latency coming from telco one or telco two, or is it coming from the internet? Or is it coming from the local? And, you know, lots of visibility, particularly at a kind of OSI stack three to five, you have crazy intelligence as to, even though ZT isn't trusting the IPs, here's a bunch of information as to how the packets are moving over the, over the, through the overlay, how it's going through the underlay, which allows you to kind of, you can control the underlay, even if you don't 
own the underlay because you're able to build um, intelligence and rootability uh, into the overlay network. I'm now cognizant. I said overlay like a trillion times in that. <laughs> I think we get it. Overlay. When I've worked in the container ecosystem, they always talk about Docker has it, Kubernetes has overlay networks. So why would I use your stuff instead of what's already built into, um, you know, in, in, into Docker or into Kubernetes? So I am going to preface by saying I'm not an expert in this area, but I am okay. opinionated. And I, I like to just riff off. So I, I might be wrong. I like opinionated this, people. But Kubernetes, Docker, out the box don't have overlay network. And that, that's why service meshes were created. That's why Cilium and Istio and, and all these capabilities exist of how do I do Kubernetes, but enforce mutual TLS? How do I enforce authentication authorization? Um, and so there, there are ecosystem components which, which can provide that. But most of those components are A, focused on layer seven, HTTP, HTTPS type capability. So right. what if I've got UDP or, or you know, another layer four or protocol uh, that's non-HTTP? Well, tough. Um, it, also, they focus very much on east-west connectivity within the, within the LAN. Um, within the, right. And they right, tend right. to also um, uh, be focused on, on purely Kubernetes use cases. And so if you need to do a, a, a you know, a, a, TCP connection between Kubernetes and a non-Kubernetes system across the wide area network. Oh no, There's yeah, it's a nightmare. That. Whereas we built ZT, OpenZT as a platform to facilitate any use case. And so it is really awesome across the WAN, north, south, as we used to call it in the traditional data center setting, uh, particularly because it has that smart routing fabric. It definitely gives you a high level of security because you don't know those outbound connections. You've got much more obfuscation and end-to-end -end security much more of a, a deny by default, zero trust approach, but it also has the ability to do east-west. And so, you know, ZT doesn't replace service mesh. We have some people that use it, you know, ZT together with service mesh. We have some people that are deploying on, well, why would I need service mesh? Because I've, I've already got most. Because I've got, I've, I've got, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's kind of horses for courses, depending upon what your requirements are, whether it's uh, used together, used instead, you know, and a, any mixture of. No, I, I, I like what you said there because that's a key differentiator is it can work across yeah. the WAN. It can work a, it, not just in a in a one ecosystem. So another quick question, and then we got to ask you about your shirt because, I mean, it's a unique shirt, so we got to. But one more question um, has to do with operating in semi or disconnected yeah. states because especially when you mention EdgeX, we all know in the, the world... <laughs> As a software developer, I always assume I have network connectivity, yeah. always, right? Because if I don't, it's a pain to manage um, up and down and all that. Do you guys handle intermittent connectivity, low latency, disruptive uh, connectivity? Or are you like, that's outside of outside the scope of, of that overlay network? Uh, yes, we do. I'm not going to say we do it. Uh, we do all parts of it. But there's parts we do today and there's parts we're working on to do it even better. We, we have a, a whole bunch okay. of use cases that we do in this space, particularly around um, um, military contractors and um, you know, militaries themselves, where they're using ZT to, you know, in their work, so one of the organizations we work with, uh, they're 
I don't think it's verbatim, but it's more or less their quote, ZT is the best implementation, no, adherence to NIST 800-207, specifically, I think it's 3.1.3, which is how do I do uh, overlay networks with software-defined perimeters? And for them, part of their requirement is I'm, I'm running a completely air-gapped network, and that, that's no problem because you just put ZT in that environment. Uh, we also have our Cloud ZT product, which is the SaaS version. That one does require internet, but you know, if you don't have the internet, great, we just use OpenZT. Uh, there are a bunch of features that we've built into ZT to make it work nicely uh, in those environments, which are, was it D-I-L-L, which I think is like disruptive. Yeah, D-Deal. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. called D-Deal. Yeah. Um, but there's more that we're working on. So one of the ones which is coming out like in weeks is um, uh, HA. So you can have multiple controllers. And so you may have controllers in the cloud. You may have controllers on-premise. And if that disconnects, you continue to to have your network. You continue to operate. Um, I see that's yeah, so important. Yeah, they're using gossip and raft to share state, so that you know if, if it gets cut off, then it elects itself as a local leader, so that the system continues to run. And this is again, this is a key aspect for us. The design principle was we need to build a platform that can support any use case. And so we've, in fact, just this week, I've been welcoming an organization who not going to name the vendor, but they've been using another zero trust solution and they've tested OpenZT and they've gone. This is okay, but ZT does everything. Where there's some edge use cases that this solution can't support, ZT just supports everything out of the box, and that therefore makes it way easier for us. And this was our core starting point because we didn't want to have to, to, have to re-architect every time we came across a, an edge use case. We wanted to build a really solid foundation. Right, right. Sure, there's always development to do, but you start from that, that point of... But you're, but you're not re-architecting the, found, the foundation. That's the key. Gotcha. All right. It's super cool. I, and, we're, and we're out of time. If people want to find out more about OpenZT and NetFoundry, where do they uh, So for OpenZT, uh, OpenZT.io will take you to, to a little microsite, GitHub slash OpenZT. That's the repository. And there's a bunch of information in there. I work for NetFoundry, which is the company behind OpenZT and CloudZT. Uh, you know, NetFoundry.io is, is our site. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter if you want to chat more. Uh, this is our mascot because every open source product yeah, you got to tell me about uh, so ZT here. When we were creating OpenZT, we were like, oh, what do we call it? And we were like, open source, zero trust, open source, zero trust, OpenZT. And someone was like, ZT is a delicious type of Italian pasta. And someone else was like, pasta mascot? And so Ziggy is a piece of pasta with a little hole inside, but you can't see that because he's here, he's dressed as a ninja, uh, because <laughs> we'll trust no one. And so we've got Ziggy, and always doing like, we've got Ziggy Stardust as a David Bowie, we've got Ziggy as a spaceman, we've got Ziggy as a prince, all of these different outfits. Uh, in order to add some some cool cuteness to him. Oh, that that's that's awesome, Philip. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been very enlightening. Um, most definitely, I am I'm going to dig into to OpenZT some more, um, and and use it for for some of my customers because it, it it fits the problem space uh, so well. So thank, thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast. Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and embrace the digital revolution.